Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, being in this period of influx and change with the, the coronavirus, um, I wanted to give you the floor to kind of set the direction to go with this as there's many various elements. In the last episode, I kind of said my takes on it. And I wanted to give you a chance to start off here and, and to guide the direction of today's episode. Well, maybe to focus on, well, maybe uh, just to include what we were just spending a few minutes talking about before the uh, recording, there seems to be information, misinformation, confused information. You know, I think we're seeing a lot of uh, people have a lot of ideas, uh, data gathering, while in one sense is extremely impressive you know, not not possible 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Uh, it's not perfectly accurate either. And so depending on what site you're looking at or whose numbers are reporting or who's reporting what data, you know, there's a certain amount of confusion about all of that. Um, you know, you can take some pretty bad case scenarios. Uh, in Spain, they've filled up an ice rink with dead bodies because the morgues are full, uh, because they want to bury people appropriately and they can't afford to have them start decaying. You know, there's pretty drastic consequences. You can look at some of those pictures uh, in, in other places, you know, maybe in, in rural America, in, in other places you could say, well, looks fine from my perspective, you know, uh, sitting here in the monastery, everybody looks fine to me. So, uh, and, and in some sense, that was always the case. You know, it's, it's one of the ways that it seems to me that the Vietnam War was one of the first examples of showing some of the really bad stuff, stuff that happened in every war, but it actually made it into the journalists' pictures and was reported on, and maybe some things that objectively were even more grave because of some of the circumstances. But was that the definition of everybody's experience? You know, can you define the whole war based on a few photographs? Anyway, all of that stuff makes it very hard to get a clear read on uh, exactly where things stand. But uh, seems that certainly things are very bad in Italy, and we certainly don't want to go there. I think things are pretty bad in New York City. There's things are getting fairly overwhelmed. Um, you know, how much impact directly does this amount of quarantining versus this amount of quarantining have? How much can you realistically expect people to follow all of the guidelines when the consequences are so distant from the experience? You know, if I go to Walmart and I touch a few things and then I get sick five days later, I can't even tell you what exactly it was I did that caused me to get sick? Was it the Walmart trip? Was it somebody put their hand on my door handle on my car? Was it uh, something else that came into my house? You know, it's just so obscure. It's so hard to see the direct consequences of these actions that it requires us to take a lot on faith and to say that, you know, the CDC people and the, the World Health Organization people, that the latest doctors and pundits know what they're talking about. And if we do what they tell us, it's going to make a positive impact. You know, it's a lot to ask of people. We ask much less of people in terms of uh, Catholic faith, and they have a hard time doing that, let alone when uh, 
it really touches people's daily lives and you know whether their stomach is full and whether they have work to to do and and uh, can keep a roof over their heads so uh it's really challenging to to see our way through this and for me it's especially challenging and i i just say this very briefly because i'm almost positive we talked about it last week although the weeks seem so long somehow uh it's hard to remember what i talked about last week but just not knowing clearly what the end game is makes it hard too if i had a sense like oh okay i gotta like really hold my place and then i can earn you know if i if i stay totally out of contact with everybody for two weeks i can be punched clean and then i can you know re-emerge and interact with other punched clean people or something like that that i would have something to show for what i'm doing would be helpful or if we all do this you know and then we can be upset at the guy that messes it up uh you know for a month or something then check and we can move on and but with with such a fuzzy uh sense of what the end game is and i'm not blaming anybody for that i think it depends on some things like how quickly we can develop testing whether some of the therapeutic techniques work out how quickly the cases actually ramp up in the united states um you know some of these these factors that we just don't have clear answers about we can't sort of uh, force technology to exist we can't force things into uh once we develop the technology can't force things into existence we can't speed up some of these clinical trials without risk of killing people in the process and making the cure worse than the disease so anyway it just makes it very hard to stay in the place where we are all of that sociological stuff i'm a priest <laughs> so i'm not a member of the world health organization and uh, i loved engaging with you last week joe you're obviously a business owner and feeling the pinch you were at a in under stay at home order last week and i wasn't this week we both are you know uh but i don't have a, a business that i'm running like you do I'm in touch with, I mentioned a guy who laid off 1,200 people uh, last week. I'm in touch with another guy who's in Pittsburgh who's basically had to shut his whole business down. And they've have fixed costs going forward, and he's got no income. And he, he works in flooring and tiling. And so is anybody ever going to let him back into their homes? You know, we've developed such a, a fear about these things. So I know there are people who's lives are carrying on to some degree and other people whose lives are totally shutting down and the future is becoming very bleak even with the stimulus package uh the flooring guy i know is not clear because if people don't you know are the businesses actually going to start up again when we when we come out of this is everybody going to be so anxious for the next three months that some of these businesses are, are just not going to be able to to handle that that anxiety and and the slowed work even after things are lifted. So, uh, so you come at it with all those perspectives, and I'm happy to hear those things. Let me just open the door uh, in terms of the church's perspective. You know, now we're you and I are again in two different situations. You being in the diocese of Pittsburgh, and me being in the diocese of Greensburg. And the diocese of Pittsburgh has absolutely shut everything down now locked every door for every church and the only sacrament that's remotely possible is anointing at the very edge of death and otherwise no confessions certainly no holy communion uh no 
baptisms, no weddings, no funerals, no churches open, no adoration, no way for the faithful to engage in any religious practice in a church community or in the context of the official church, except to watch mass on television. So that's where Pittsburgh is right now. Greensburg is still in the same place we were last week as of uh, whenever we are noon on Monday, because by the time we drop this podcast, uh, the situation could have changed. That's how rapidly and how influential one diocese is over another. We're still able to have churches open, six feet distance, proper social spacing, confessions offered, uh, prison chaplains. One of our monks was suited up with a whole uh, wrapped in plastic baby, basically to go in and uh, with his own ventilator and everything else to anoint somebody. Um, so making, really trying to make the church present, certainly doing live streaming. I just did a live streamed retreat interactively over the weekend with some men I was supposed to be physically on retreat with before all of this happened. Um, so a lot of ways the church is reaching out and uh, the the anxiety on my heart now is the same one that was there last week. Are we doing enough? Are we making it clear that the church cares? Are we extending ourselves as fully as we can to show that the life of the soul is even more important than the life of the body? A healthcare professional said to me, you know, Father, we're taking a lot of risks and everybody's thanking and applauding us to care for the body. What about people going out and taking those risks to baptize? You know, what about taking those risks to hear confessions? What about taking those risks to give Holy Communion? Isn't the life of the soul worth taking risks for? Maybe like a health professional would do with the proper mask, gloves, uh, scrubs, whatever. But shouldn't we be doing that? I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm sort of in a middle position of not necessarily being one to make decisions, although I can say I'm ready and willing. Even if I have to shave my beard to put one of those masks on, it would be more important to deliver the sacraments to the faithful than to have a beard. The beard will grow back, but people's souls may not recover from this. So I'm, I'm ready and willing as a foot soldier, but I'm waiting for the command of the general to tell me uh, when and where. And, and, and it just gives me a lot of anxiety. I, I think that people could really feel abandoned and feel like the church is closing her doors. Walmart's still open. Checkout clerks are taking greater risks than priests are. Um, what are we doing? So, and, and I, I say that with absolute reverence for our, our bishops and with a clear statement that I do not desire to be in their shoes. And uh, I love Bishop Zubik just with all my heart. And I'm so grateful for how he's reached out. So, you know, none of that, I don't want any of it to be taken as a criticism in any way. Uh, I understand. I respect the pressures that are there. Just want to express also to our listeners, you know, from the position of a priest whose heart really wants to reach out and is just looking for ways to do that. And, uh, and, and really hoping for the kind of pastoral creativity to emerge so that we don't just sort of lock our doors and say, hey, you know, let's just let this pass and uh, do nothing about it. Yeah, it's as, as you said, it's it's starting point is an issue of of known versus unknown. You know, we don't know where how someone's getting sick or, or exactly backtracking over the infection period there. 
So you're dealing with the possibility of an action to mitigate a risk, which is what this quarantine is, knowing that it's going to incur costs. Now, part of the problem that we have is that people aren't willing to look downfield and realistically say what the costs are going to be. So I, I know I articulated some of the, my economic fears, but um, there's very real elements there. And there's part of me that's angry at the government, in the sense of saying, you guys caused this by shutting everything down. Now you want to give money back, but now you're going to imply all these extra rules upon it. That's That doesn't seem right to me, but that that's where we're at. Um, but in terms of of the the church and the faith and, and the active participation, the, the the fear that I have with it is looking at it from a macro perspective, taking away from the church, every business essentially just learned by their own definitions who was essential and who was inessential for their employees. So spin that from an individual's perspective. They they're learning how to get through life without regular sacramental you know life that's a problem just as these companies are going to come back and when they have economic times look and say 40% of my workforce wasn't essential why am i paying them when i can barely stay afloat there's an ind- individual level that's saying well times weren't easy you know i was as at home we lived and i didn't go to mass so there's a giant temptation to say I can continue to do that moving forward. And, you know, we already are in a state in our faith in terms of the mass percentage of people that they show up at Christmas and Easter. I mean, we see it in virtually any individual church building throughout the diocese that there is a massive surge for Christmas and Easter compared to a regular Sunday of ordinary time. And it's a very scary thought. And just as I want to be out there making my business grow, you're doing the same thing. So so for you saying that you're not in business, I, I just personally disagree with that because you are. You're out there to shepherd people's souls. And, and while in my world, I'm trying to keep my rentals pretty and upkeep so that people want to keep them, um, essentially you're fighting, you know, and I'm fighting the guy who's down, got a rental down the street so I can get the good tenant and, and keep the, the, the whole thing working. You're fighting apathy. And what this is creating is just a massive people feeling apathy and emptiness that really the faith is the only thing that can fill it. But as we've, as you've said before, what most of sin is, is using a finite thing to fill an infinite hole. And the only thing that truly can do that is God. And, and my fear, even though it's, it's probably, the writing's probably on the, on the wall for it, for Pittsburgh at least, is that if we're not open for Easter, and, and most importantly, the Holy Week build up to it, but Easter as, as the crowning Sunday, that how many people are going to go by and miss what they got, you know, even if you only go to mass twice a year to, to, you get something out of it or you inherently know you should. Um, and to, to take that away is a, can be a major problem. Um, and and we see it in very many statistical data applied in different 
industries in different places that it can take a long time to rebuild your customer base. Um, you know, it, 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 sometimes it takes something unexpected to fix it. Like you take major league baseball, for an example, they did a strike in the early nineties, their population in terms of fan viewership did not return until Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa had the summer of home runs. And that was half a decade later before people started returning. And we look at where we're at here with the faith where it's already an uphill battle and to have a setback is, is very, very scary and frightening. So I mean that, that just adds to my angst about why I feel this is overreacting, but it also comes back to the point of it's mitigating a risk. And anytime you're mitigating a risk from an intellectual standpoint, you don't see a benefit out of it immediately. You only see the benefit out of when the insurance agent shows up to your house after you're caught on fire. But when you're paying that check every month, you don't see it. And that's basically what this quarantine is, is paying your premium for your insurance policy to hope that it won't be needed later. So with that being said, Father, I mean, this is, I I, I feel your, your, your pain. And, and I'm sharing with the same fears of you that you had. You know, in our prior episode, you discussed how adoration, when when the Pope was going to the Philippines, how that entire diocese crime rate just plummeted with perpetual adoration. And as I try to say in the last episode, if the pro is true, the con is also going to have to be true. It's That's the way logic works. And shutting down the doors seems to be a, a pathway to a lot of a lot of negative negative things so i just went on a, a lot there father i want to give you a chance to to jump in there yeah yeah i really appreciate your uh your observations joe it's uh i i don't know maybe you know c- certainly there will be people who come back when it's possible to come back you know there's no question about that um, what will that look like? Uh, is that are those the only people that will come back? You know, will other people, like you said, discover that no, they could actually survive fine enough without the sacraments, and so uh, they didn't really like going to mass anyway. And uh, you know, Father So and So is kind of a bore, and um, that they'll just feel free to skip mass more often, and you know. So, uh, and, and then we could end up with more fervent parishes, perhaps, <laughs> maybe that will shake the, uh, the, the dead wood in the sense of those who have totally lost faith, uh, off the tree. And then we can spend more time pouring life into the living wood that can gather up those who have fallen away and actually bring them back in a new way. Um, it's possible. Maybe that's, you know, the Cardinal Ratzinger was famously quoted as talking about the church getting smaller uh, before and f- smaller and more intense, more faith filled before being able to expand. You know, sometimes like a, a nuclear reaction, things have to collapse in before they can explode and and go out. And maybe something like that is happening. But um, I would also love to see. As we get some glimpses in Italy and as the Holy Father has praised, you know, some uh, priests in particular, I mean, those sort of official representatives of the church, but a lot of uh, because kind of the balls in our court, you know, really making 
sacrifices to to demonstrate you know now is the time to shine now is the time for heroism now is the time to take extraordinary uh risks and send out extraordinary messages and i'm i'm happy in ways we've talked about that you know parishes have demonstrated how much they care about their people by reaching out finding ways to connect uh through telephones and video conferencing and uh live streaming and all of these kinds of things so but I think it is a, a time for heroism and a time to shine. And and I think the if we don't reach out now, you know, people, like you said, are just going to walk away and give up. And unlike a business, you know, does the world really need a flooring company? I, I don't know, I suppose. I mean, we need floors, so probably, but they're competing against other flooring companies and, you know, that's that's its own thing but does the world need jesus christ uh yeah <laughs> that's uh that's that's unquestionable and uh unconditional and so if we don't give him if if we who are his face his voice his arms his legs if we don't reach out to people now uh i i i fear for ourselves and uh i fear for the people who are really deprived of of his grace. Yeah. And, and to that point, um, you know, it, it, it brings up a, a thought there that you mentioned that person who, who walks away from the church and thinks he can live by himself. As I've tried to articulate through my own stories about this podcast, there's a difference between living and thriving. And the, mm-hmm. there's a, a certain element that you get from having a rich faith life that you just don't get anywhere else. And it manifests in virtually every other element of your life and it can't really be measured. And, um, and on the note of measuring that one of the end game thoughts that I have is something that we've discussed before is this notion out there of, of what the results mean, I think is, is put into a problem is that there's a fundamental fact that we all are going to pass away and there's also a large percentage of the population that is not okay with that sentence, despite the fact it's true and there. And I know that we've pointed out multiple times in the past the more likelihood of passing away from way more common things that we accept than this corona. And this just is, is a lot of, to me, overreaction and, and a lot of people are going to get hurt. Obviously, we, we just use this episode to talk about the spiritual side, but the economic side as well. And I just hope that, as you said there, having the deadwood shake off, that it really can grow. Because the risk you have with pruning a tree is that you click a bat, you click an important artery, and then it, the whole tree goes. And that's a, that that's a creeping fear that I'm having around us. I mean... Again, you're seeing people seeing it with their individual businesses that I have to get rid of some employees to keep it going. Well, if you get rid of the wrong employee, you don't realize how important they were and your whole thing can never grow. It, 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 that's a very scary and dangerous proposition. And unfortunately, it's where we're at here in Pittsburgh. But um, the the hope is is that we as a faith body can grow and and return this. So I, I definitely thank you for, for spending some time with us here, Father. I know that we went a, a little bit longer than our intended scheduling, but if you have any final thoughts, I definitely want to give you a chance to to share them as we conclude. 
Well, I guess I just would invite everybody um, to pray, you know, really to pray. It's uh, I have to be careful about that myself. I can raise questions about what the, you know, the bishop ought to do or the governor ought to do. And then I have to ask myself, have I prayed for him? Why do I think he's going to have that inspiration if he doesn't have the benefit of the grace of my prayer? So uh, and maybe I could just lead us in a, a little Hail Mary, ask Our Lady to pray for our bishops and our uh, government leaders, all those who hold power and are responsible for acting for the good of the people and their body and their soul in this time. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. Thank you, Father. And we will take that forward going to next week, and we will be with you guys then.